Hey everyone, you're listening to Spark, where we amplify the voices of the Middle East startup, tech, and innovation ecosystem. I'm your host, Shireen, and along with our guests, we share with you expert insights on the latest and most relevant news. Our goal is to help you easily digest trending topics and be better equipped to know what to make of it all. everyone, we have a really fun episode for you today. We go deep into the world of gaming and esports. And for those of you who are non-gamers like I am, you may not know that this industry is worth billions and billions of dollars. So in this episode, we talk to you all about gaming and esports, how investors in the region look into it, lay of the land regionally, mainly who are the developers, and more importantly, if you're interested in entering the space, what you can do in order to develop a game or a community or an esports tournament. Amidst all the epic games and Apple news these days, I thought this would be a very fitting episode to release. Even though the episode was recorded before the epic games and Apple lawsuits, The gaming industry is nevertheless under the spotlight these days, and I would like for my listeners to learn a little bit more about its reach. Joining me in our discussion today is Yusuf Bahaza, who is an active member of the gaming industry in Bahrain and very knowledgeable about the gaming industry in the entire Middle East region. And for those of you who are keeping up with the Accelerator program that I run, we had a successful kickoff this week. I welcomed 17 up-and-coming fintechs from all over the world, all of whom are looking to access MENA through the Middle East. Be sure to follow me on social media for a sneak peek behind the scenes of all the bootcamp activities that are taking place over the next two weeks. We really hope you enjoy the episode, and now let's jump straight to it. Yusuf, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Uh, Firstly, because I've been really waiting, honestly, to talk about gaming. Uh, Gaming is an area I've come to familiarize myself more with uh, since COVID, because everyone's been gaming since COVID. But more importantly, because you're from Bahrain, as am I. So effectively, you're my first Bahraini guest, and you actually operate your business in Bahrain. So thank you very much for making time. I personally am very grateful. It's my pleasure, Shireen, really. And I'm a fan of your show. It began uh, ever since I've uh, heard about it. And you know, what's really interesting is um, a lot of people have been going into gaming, especially those that were not into it in the beginning. And uh, I think it's one of those industries that didn't have a major impact when the, due to COVID. Actually, it grew because of COVID. And there's a good reason behind it. People are meant to have fun. They're not meant to just, you know, be busy with work and stuff like that. They just need to kick back and relax. And some of these games actually give you that. And that's why you've got a, such an interesting culture around it. You have communities that are dedicated to games. So for those of you listening, the gaming industry is literally the only industry that has not suffered a downturn since 2020. That means it rode out the dot-com bubble it rode out the financial recession in 08 and 09, and it's currently valued at $150 billion a year right now. And that's effectively larger than the other entertainment industries like music and film combined. But unfortunately, Yusuf, only 3% of that is attributed to the Middle East. Why do you think it's so skewed? Well, that's part of where these industries originated. Let's take Hollywood as an example. Hollywood is one of those places that is considered the best place to produce movies in because the ecosystem and the environment exists there. It started up there. If if you look at the Middle East, we have video game studios. 
One of them is uh, Sima Forest Studio, which is in, in Saudi Arabia. And you have Sun and Sandsoft, uh, which is also in Saudi as a publishing house. But they are not creating, they haven't hit the mark yet. They haven't found the audience or created the game that will actually sell millions and attract more people and inspire others to invest in that industry. To be very honest, I don't play any games. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I live with my two brothers and all they do is game. Okay. Their favorite game is Dota. Now, what I find very interesting about Dota, and mind you, my, my brothers have been living in different countries for most of their lives, but they get together on Dota. So like how I would go have a coffee with my friend, they have a Dota meeting. So I think that there's a bit of blurred lines actually between the gaming industry and the social media industry. Yes. So just only to bring an interesting point, it's really interesting that you actually brought up Dota. Dota, believe it or not, is one of the most popular esports uh, games out there. And actually, the, the pot, the price pot for it in 2019 was around $30 million. So imagine the amount of money that these people playing Dota can get if, if they enter a competition. In fact, more than some professional athletes, right? Isn't the price pool bigger than the NBA, Premier League? Yeah, in, in some cases, yes. But uh, Dota is, is one of those really interesting exceptions when it comes to the esports uh, scene. Esports has been growing lately. And I think part of that is really attributed to streaming services, uh, games being more engaged and people building that popularity and hype around it. Honestly, when you look into the Fortnite winners last year, there was a kid who was 15, 16, uh, walked away with around $1.6 million as a prize. How do you get that good? How do you get so good that you make a million dollars in a game? Well, I, I think it's with any sports. As you practice more, okay, you get recognized and then you can start doing a lot of things around it. Once you get into a competitive mode, people will start watching you and they would like to see the plays that you do, the situations that you get out of and how you dominate a game. And this is true in any sport. Apparently, there are even coaches and medical professionals for esports players. Yeah, that's the world that we live in at the moment. Where does where does the price pool come from, Yusuf? So this this kid who won a million dollars, where did the million dollars even come from? There, there's always a pot behind it. Uh, with that pot, you get companies, sponsors uh, that just put in it. But almost. Every, you know, every game has a different method of actually putting the money together. And uh, trust me, with, when you have gamers competing against each other, they will do the marketing on their own. They will create the hype for it. So for someone who's a Dota fan, if they want to watch the best Dota players in the world compete for, for the prize pool, where do you watch the tournaments? Are these streamed online or are they streamed internally in the game or on TV like the World Cup is? Where can I watch these tournaments? Twitch has been known as the home for video game streamers since its beginning. And you have a lot of good players coming, you know, having their starts at Twitch. Are esports tournaments done always at an international level or do you have regional esports leagues as well? Well, it depends. In order to be part of it, everyone has a different, they have a different model. So if you want to go with the traditional Dota model, there are regional championships that just build up to the, to the world championship area. What are some of the games that are running 
Middle East focused regional tournaments? We need to have esports events that are actually generated within the region, that they start within the region. The only reason that you should have the organizers come from the Middle East and build our own esports brand is that it's much more profitable and it's much more organized and coordinated with, within the esports industry. Now, when you look at uh, how can this be done? Basically, you just establish communication ca- channels with the companies themselves. So uh, in order to have, let's say, a Fortnite League or a Dota League or whatever, you need to inform the IP owners that you're doing that type of league. And there is some sort of regulation behind it. Are there many Middle East game developers? You find you find a lot of game developers that are there. Games is basically a creative medium. So they choose which language they want to publish their game in and how they want to present their game as. So yes, you do find a lot of games that have the Arabic language and the Arabic theme to it. But game developers, especially Arabian game developers, are not constrained by just you know making something in purely in Arabic. Technical knowledge is not a bar- barrier anymore. The knowledge is being shared on cyberspace all the day, and you'll find answers to any technical issue. We do have the talents, we do have the ingredients, but there are there are some knowledge gaps on how to create a proper game and how to sell that game to the proper audience. And I think publishers can help a lot with that. So if the allure of a multi-billion market is there. How can we motivate people to fill in that skill gap and seize the opportunity? I think we start off with uh, developing indie studios that can demonstrate that they can develop a game fully. Then we need to convince investors. You know, investors are, are a major contributor to this point. Without money, you cannot actually fully fund a project and market a project. You can spend whatever you want to develop the game. But if you don't spend, and when I say spend, I mean really spend on marketing for that game, nobody's going to know it does exist. Nobody's going to be interested to try it. Nobody's going to stay up all night waiting until the minutes of that game is released just to download it and play it. So do gaming production companies spend more marketing a game than developing a game effectively? Uh, yeah, mo- most of them do. But some of those game development companies, um, especially the indie ones, do their own marketing on a budget, on a shoestring budget. Uh, and they succeed by actually building an audience as they're developing the game. You know, Yusuf, you mentioned that it's very difficult to get investors to invest in games. But in my experience, if you show investors where the money is and what the ROI and opportunity and, you know, potentially how they can grow their money through your proposition, more often than not, they'll go for it. I'm inclined to actually say that they may simply be unfamiliar with the gaming industry regionally because there are other tech industries that have the spotlight. And that's mostly just because of, you know, the natural economy, you know, or not natural, let's say the traditional industries of the Middle East have been different. They've been fintech, health tech, ftech, and they just understand that more. Do you think that's that's a fair assumption? Yeah, of course. The, uh, you know, investor culture, uh, the, the culture of investors plays a major role. You know, you have in Hollywood, you have people that will, are willing to invest in movies because they understand the return of investment and they understand how the industry works. When it comes to the region, and this is where I think I need to clarify it a little bit more when it comes to investors, but when you go down the line and launch the game, not all those games make their money back. So there's a high risk factor behind it. When something succeeds, everybody wants to jump in. When it comes to game development, I think 
we need the right type of investors that are willing to wait three, four years to see a game come back instead of that investor that will say, you know, I want to, I want to invest in you, but I want you to produce a game every week. I do hope that there are some aspiring entrepreneurs listening to this who are scratching their brain saying, you know what? Gaming sounds interesting. Let me get into gaming. How can they get into the business of gaming? Meaning what skills does one need to develop a game? And if they can't all you know, if, if all the skill can't come from one person, what different types of people with different types of skill sets need to come together to produce a good game? I would just put it down and uh, down into three basic categories. You need someone who's business oriented. You need someone who's a creative and you need someone who's a tech. When it comes to the creative parts, uh, you need people that can do stories, models, create visual items, create music, create all those elements and components that need to be placed in that game. The technical person will actually put things, these things together in that digital medium. So he'll need to know how to develop games in a game engine and how to make the game and playable. They need to figure out those things uh, that's there. So let me just take it down through a step-by-step process. Okay. Every game starts with an idea. It can be a copy of something that you like, or it can be entirely original. Once you do that, you need to look at what do you need for that game? Do I need to write a good story? Do I need to create graphics? Do I need to create music? Then you start the production process. You can buy assets, which I would prefer, especially for any game developer that's just starting in, or you can create your own assets. Buying assets will save you a lot of time. And it will give you that quality material that you're looking for. Then it's time to put things together. You you will need to either create your own game engine, which is monumental as a task, or you can go online and search for a game engine such as Unreal Engine, Unity. And these are tried and proven engines that actually will give you a lot of shortcuts and a lot of tools to play with to create your game. And usually it takes three to six months to get a good grip on that engine itself, just learning and implementing. But once you're done with that, you will have a working prototype that you can showcase to people, get feedback and make it better. If you're really lucky, your game will be done in a year and your game should not exceed two hours of gameplay. You should start something simple that is achievable within a very short time. And you need to build your skills and knowledge because down the line, you'll find yourself reworking your game. So Yusuf, what you've described seems like a very hefty investment, but I do want to encourage people to maybe go down a simpler route. And all that came to mind as you were talking was, what about Angry Birds? Angry Birds does not seem that complicated. So if someone wants to develop like a Facebook game or, you know, something like Angry Birds, what does it take to build something small like that? All right. So if, if you're going to go with Angry Birds example, there's a tutorial by a guy named Brackies on YouTube where he literally creates Angry Birds within three hours. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And that was one of the biggest games in the world once upon a time, right? Yes. According to rumors, the, the owner of the game had around $50,000 at one point generated in terms of revenue. And by the way, anybody can create a game. There is, of course, the concept of gamification in other industries, um, specifically in fintech. I've seen so many gamification platforms where 
um, app developers encourage you to save money by gaming. Some other app developers uh, promote financial literacy for children through gaming and so on and so forth. I've seen that in EdTech as well. So there, there really is no end to gaming. It's a very, very widely applicable industry. When it comes to gamification, it's basically the concept of engaging someone in a process to have them be more productive, to make a process more fun and less mundane and less uh, boring. But with with a caveat of it being digital, right? Because otherwise something like a puzzle can be a game. So in modern day, when we say gaming, we mean uh, the same thing that you described, but through a digital interface, correct? Yes, in, in terms of designing a solution and designing a process that is basically gamified at that point. Interesting. Yusuf, I want to get into how other industries are noticing all the attention gaming is getting and are trying to ride the wave. Now, particularly one incident I want to uh, reflect on during COVID is there was this one day I woke up and all over the news was American rapist Travis Scott performs on Fortnite and draws in the largest audience in the world. And I was like, how's that even possible? Turns out uh, he did a concert where you could only attend if you logged in live through Fortnite. And -hmm. in fact, 12 million people attended. So do you find there to be a crossover between, let's say, virtual events and spectating into the gaming world and that maybe people are or will be logging into games, not just to game, but to do other things like attend concerts. The lovely thing about the digital world is that provided you have the means, you can be anything you'd like to be. You can reach a much wider audience and you can create things that are not limited by your physical environment. So what was interesting about this concert was it was made on such a scale and on a, such a popular for platform such as Fortnite. Fortnite at one point had 200 million concurrent users playing at the same time. So that's something. That's telling you something on the power of you know, gamifying digital use. I would love to term, coin this term, game tech, using gaming technology to breach certain uh, areas. Let me tell you one non-gaming industry that I find mind-blowing is wanting to enter the gaming industry, and that's fashion. I know there are some brands who are building their own games. Burberry is one of them. Meanwhile, some other brands are selling versions of their products within games as in-store purchases like Air Jordan shoes and Uniqlo. Now, what strikes me as interesting about this is my... Uh, and it may be biased, but my opinion of a gamer is often someone in a hoodie and jeans and not someone who cares to have a Burberry trench coat. Why are these fashion companies interested in marketing to gamers? And is my stereotype incorrect? To be honest, I think that's a smart move from these companies. And it's an additional revenue stream. I mean, if, if I can sell physical clothes, there might be a market for digital clothes. There was something that I loved back in the PlayStation 3 era, uh, which was called PlayStation Home. Uh, unfortunately, that project is long gone now, but it allowed you to buy an apartment, buy a house, customize it from the inside, buy furniture, branded furniture, buy clothing that was also branded, and even engage in conversation with other people. And I found it interesting and I did spend money on it because I created my avatar and I wanted it to look good. 
a personality close to the fashion industry, uh, maybe not so, but maybe, you know, they, they target the same people uh, that comes to mind is uh, the Kardashian family. And, you know, people have their opinions, but at the end of the day, they're a really successful business family. Years ago, they launched their own game. And I thought that is so strange that they're into gaming, but I guess they were really, really riding the wave early on. But I know that they stopped the game and the game doesn't exist anymore. So do you think that with huge influential powerhouses, such as the Kardashians, still someone's game can fail? Yes. Um, Again, uh, of course, that marketing plays a major role, but the game also plays a major role also in in keeping players engaged. Uh, A problem that happens with story-based games is once you're done with the game and the story, find little incentive to go back and play it. But once you create a game that is replayable, that will allow you to push the button, go play the game, enjoy it, come back again, maybe in three, four months, and a new expansion with new areas, new maps, new weapons come in. There are popular games that fail. There are games that are not as popular, but they succeed. Nobody thought that Minecraft will be this successful. But the only reason it became that successful was that people loved it and they just played for it. People will buy it because they enjoyed that experience. And that's one of the things that will keep a game profitable. But if you stop, the game will stop. Hopefully, uh, Yusuf, we've given listeners who are thinking of going into the gaming industry enough insights, tips, and tricks. Before we go, I would love for you to tell the audience about your work at Unreal. Unreal Bahrain is a game development community based in Bahrain, but we have a wider outreach with Saudi, Kuwait, uh, UAE, Oman, Lebanon, and uh, Alhamdulillah, uh, we have a vision of developing a game development industry within the region. And one of the things that we're focusing on is to encourage game developers to start developing their own games, be much more open about those developments by uh, engaging in our meetups where they will showcase the games, showcase the progress, showcase their challenges and what they're planning to do with it. And uh, all throughout the meetup platform. And uh, besides that, we also encourage people to engage in uh, events such as game jams. Game jams are basically hackathons for game developers where you develop a game within a certain time frame, usually 48 hours. And uh, that game is developed usually around a theme. You can make any game you like as long as it sticks to the theme. Uh, we also engage with events. We have uh, companies such as Tartib, Della Productions that organize local events such as gaming, uh, IGN and stuff like that, and Comic Con. And uh, they offer us free tables. So they try to support the game development industry in Bahrain by allowing the game developers to showcase their games for free in these events. Uh, we also have uh, partnerships with government and non-government organizations such as universities, schools, um, the the Bahrain Economic Development Board, the United Nations Industrial uh, Development Program here in Bahrain. A big shout out to Dr. Hashim there, who has been a tremendous support by actually helping us and supporting the game development industry. Currently working on a program where we want to create an event that will encourage game developers to gamify the sustainable development goals. So that's, that's something we're looking forward to. And for those of you that want to start off with game development, 
I would recommend something. Follow us on social media. Uh, just search Unreal Bahrain, just one word. And check out our website from time to time. There's an event that's coming up that's open for the entire region. And it's not even the region. Anyone in the world can participate in it. It's called the Bahrain Game Jam. We're going to do it virtual this year. And basically, it will give you an opportunity to try out your game development skills. And Yusuf, I'm very happy to hear that people from around the Gulf can still get involved with Unreal Bahrain. And perhaps it's a blessing that because people are have to do things virtually, that you can actually involve more people who can't necessarily come and fly and be in the same place for a game jam. Yes. Yusuf, thank you very much for your time. I've had a really fun conversation and I hope that our listeners had fun listening. Uh, it was a pleasure, really. And thank you for having me on your show. And hopefully we'll be back again to talk about new things and better progresses. My pleasure. All right. Thank you, Sherry. Thanks for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to future episodes on your podcast listening platform of choice. And whilst you're there, leave a review and rate our show so that other aspiring innovators can find it. To find a summary of our discussion today and links to our guests, access our show notes by visiting our website, sparkwithshereen.com. If you don't want to miss out on future announcements, subscribe to our newsletter or follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at sparkwithshereen. Before you go, I'd like to let you know that we love hearing from our listeners. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, including guest or topic recommendations, drop us a message through our website or social platforms. If you didn't have a pen or paper handy to write all this down, don't worry. We've gone ahead and added all these links in the episode description. All you have to do is scroll down and click when you have a moment. As always, thank you for listening and see you next time.